turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls. We answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews. We talk about world religions. We talk about the past, which includes the subject of history, We talk about the future, which includes the subject of prophecy, and we talk about the here and the now. And um, on Tuesdays, we've sort of set that day aside, if you will. We've traditionally called it Tough Question Tuesday. From time to time, we do have authors and artists and guests. But on Tuesdays, this is the time when you get to ask your question that you care about. And, of course, uh, producer Jim Nichols is standing by to take your call at 303-873-1935. He'll ask you what your question is. We'll make every effort to get your question on the on the air, 303-873-1935. And, um, again, this is a Bible answer program. It's not a sports program, but I did watch Monday Night Football last night. And I watched the Broncos win in what seems to me like a miraculous game, a miraculous in the sense that uh, both Buffalo and Denver seemed committed to losing the game. They kept making mistake after mistake after mistake, and it looks like the last man standing was the least, you know, was the last, it wasn't, the last best play, but the last biggest mistake. But that's neither here nor there. I'm happy to take your call at 303-873-1935. I might be talking about a little bit about sports and athletics from a biblical standpoint or, you know, what the Bible has to say and why does the Bible use sports metaphors Metaphors, and, and, and I'm happy to answer that. But there's an interesting, interesting vignette at the American Minute. These are notable events of American significance remembered on the date that they occurred. And today's date is interesting for so many reasons. And, of course, this is posted at the American Minute by my friend William Federer, And for November 14th, he writes, and I quote, Born a slave, he taught himself to read and attended school after working all day. At age 25, he founded the Tuskegee Institute and recruited George Washington Carver. By his death on November 14th, 1915, Tuskegee had over 1,500 students. His name was Booker T. Washington, and he was the first African-American to have his image 
on both a United States postage stamp and coin. I happen to have one of those coins. And he was elected to the Hall of Fame. In his 1901 book, Up From Slavery, Booker T. Washington wrote, quote, while a great deal of stress is laid upon the industrial side of the work at Tuskegee, we do not neglect or overlook in any degree the religious and spiritual side. The school is strictly undenominational, but it is thoroughly Christian. And the spiritual training of the students is not neglected. Our preaching service, prayer meetings, Sunday school, Christian Endeavor Society, Young Men's Christian Association, and various missionary organizations testify to this, unquote. So Booker T. Washington continued, quote, while the institution is in no sense denominational, we have a department known as the Phelps Hall Bible Training School in which a number of students are prepared for the ministry and other forms of Christian work, unquote. How remarkable. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And we were talking a little bit about sports and athletics and producer Jim Nichols, of course, sports fan and an enthusiast. But sports is a big part of life for many people. And, you know, as I was watching the game last night and I watched the coaches, uh, the people who are on the sideline, I watched the fans, you watch the owners, you watch all of these people and all that they do all across America. And athletics is and has been, well, an important part of life in America, whether we're talking about baseball or basketball or football. or And, and so, you know, whether you're talking about driving your kids back and forth to practice in school, directing, participating, coaching in Little League, according to MarketWatch, Inc., Americans spend $100 billion on sports. In 2017, $56 billion went to attending sporting events, $33 billion purchasing sports equipment, $19 billion in gym memberships. So sports and athletic competitions have been popular, well, forever, since ancient times. The Bible draws several analogies of the Christian life from the sports world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, it, it contains a reference to shadow boxing where Paul basically says, So I do not run aimlessly. There's a metaphor to running. I do not box as one beating the air, in other words, shadow boxing. But but again, he's using it as a metaphor. The author of Hebrews likens the Christian life to a race. In Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also 
lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In many sporting events in the ancient world, not in the Jewish culture because nakedness was considered inappropriate, but it wasn't considered inappropriate in the Greek world to run without clothes. And they did, they ran without clothes, not because they were trying to be weird, but so that they would be unencumbered. So again, Paul admonish, admonishes us to run in such a way that we will win the prize in first Corinthians chapter nine, verse 24. He says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize. So run in such a way to win the prize. So he's talking about using this as a metaphor that, that you don't, you don't prepare and run to lose. You prepare and run to win. And so given the the Bible's positive use of sports-related metaphors and analogies, is there something wrong with viewing, participating in athletic events, following a favorite football team? Well, I'll have more to say about that when we come back. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. I want to take a little break from the sports metaphor and uh, the Bible just for just a second because of a news uh, that's coming in. And again, I'm trying to make sense of the news because I'm not sure if this is true or false or how to think about it. But a number of different news outlets are reporting that the United States, uh, that the way they're characterizing it is that today um, that the the Biden administration has renewed um, a 120-day waiver allowing Iraq to pay or Iraq to pay Iran for electricity. So this is a complicated situation. It's not the United States giving um, billions of dollars to Iran. The way to think about this is complicated. So the United States has renewed what's called a 120-day waiver allowing Iraq to pay Iran for electricity. They added that Iran could use the funds for humanitarian trade. It's estimated to be to the tune of about $10 billion. Now, what's interesting about all of this is there seems to be a growing recognition that Hamas is a lost cause, that Hamas is, for all intents and purposes, that Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon isn't going to come to Hamas's rescue. Now, I this is not to say that things could go terribly and horribly wrong for reasons unbeknownst to me, but... If this is true, if it's true that there's backdoor channels taking place where everyone is basically saying, okay, we're going to allow Israel 
to put out this dumpster fire, which is Gaza, and we're going to release billions of dollars via Iran or via Iraq to Iran to pay its bills, that Hezbollah will not be joining the war. Now, again, is that true or is it false? Is it possible that something could go horribly and terribly wrong? Um, I don't have enough information to even speculate just how bad things could get, but but things are clearly going very well for Israel and as far as their I'm going to use the term um, the prosecution of the war. Apparently, they found about 500 miles of terror tunnels. Apparently, they have found headquarters underneath hospitals, schools, and mosques. And so, again, this is not... um, I know that the Yemeni Houthis are still firing rockets, um, allegedly hitting targets in Elat. But I'm wondering, again, just how things are going to unfold. And um, so my friend Joel Rosenberg has just tweeted not too long ago. He said he he shows a picture of what looks like... um, 300,000 Jews and Christians and other Americans um, um, rallying at the Capitol. And so he's tweeted, wow, after so many wicked pro-Hamas rallies around the world, how wonderful and encouraging to see almost 300,000 Jews, Christians, and other Americans and my friend Israeli Ab Herzog coming together in Washington, D.C. to hashtag march against anti-Semitism and hashtag stand for Israel. And um, so, interesting. 303-873-1935 is the number if you want to join me on the program. And I was talking a little bit about sports metaphors. And the amount of money, at least in 2017, that Americans spent on sports, $100 billion, um, $56 billion to attend sporting events, $33 billion on sports equipment, $19 billion on, on gym memberships. But I think now in 2023, the statistics have to be bumped up um, significantly. And um, again, I was talking a little bit about how the Bible and how Paul particularly uses sports analogies. Um, So, and how athletes and coaches will often use their participation in sports as an opportunity or a platform for advancing the gospel. So, we have an article at gotquestions.org and at gotquestions.org, the, the article says, how should a Christian view sports and athletics? And if you go a couple of paragraphs down in the article, it says, quote, 
the endurance and perseverance required in athletic competition can be valuable in building and strengthening character. And I think that that's right. The article says one of the greatest benefits of competing in sports is the development of self-control. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. The next sentence actually says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown, but we an imperishable. In other words, he uses the illustration of getting a trophy or a crown or a reward, but that the Christian... The Christian endeavors to win something that's not temporal, but eternal. And so in the article, it says, in the crucible of competitive action, the presence of self-control or lack of it becomes obvious to all observers. Some athletes and fans handle game-related adversity with grace and poise Others melt down in an adult temper tantrum. Now, pause. And I have to confess, producer Jim, that watching the Bronco-Buffalo game last night as we were winding down into the second, third, and then the fourth quarter, there were things that happened that I found myself saying to the television, this can't be happening. This doesn't seem even possible that this could be happening. I wish I could tell you that I exercise perfect decorum and self-control, even as a fan. It doesn't always happen. In the article, it got questions, how should a Christian view sports? The article goes on and says, the problem is not the sport. It's the inner character of the athlete or the fan. In many ways, a sporting event provides an occasion to test the character of both winners and losers. Christian athletes, coaches, and fans should be filled with the Holy Spirit and display the fruit of the Spirit, no matter where they are, be it on the court, on the field, in the locker room, In all areas of life, we must have a balance in regards to our involvement in sports. We have to set priorities. It's easy for a sports fan to overdo it, committing too much time, money, and other resources to what should be an entertaining diversion. It's easy for an athlete wishing to succeed to devote an inordinate amount of time and energy to training, to the neglect of family, friends, or walk with God. The Bible helps us clarify it. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, 303-873-1935. This is Gina Geraci. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. I just got a tweet from the Hoover Institution, who I follow on X. And according to the tweet, California has a new requirement for its K-12 students learning how to recognize fake 
news, a new bill that was sponsored by Assemblyman Mark Berman requires what they call media literacy to be taught, get this, from kindergarten through the 12th grade. And so when I was looking at that, I was thinking to myself, what, what, what? You mean recognizing fake news is a required subject in California schools? And I immediately got a little bit suspicious because I'm wondering, well, what do you mean? And who gets to determine the, 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 the tools? So I, I get concerned because... It was approved by the left-leaning quasi-socialist state of California, and Governor Gavin Newsom signed it into law, Assembly Bill 873, which requires the state to add what it's calling media literacy to curriculum frameworks for English, art, science, math, history, social studies, And so instead of a standalone class, the topic will be woven according to Assembly Member Mark Berman, a Democrat from Menlo Park. He says, quote, this is about making sure our young people have the skills to navigate the landscape. But I'm wondering what it really means. I'm wondering if they're weaving it into English, language, science, math, and history. How they're defining news, reality, truth. What's interesting that this progressive socialist government in California passed the law, it seems to come on the wave of a public distrust of the media, especially from young people. In a 2022 Pew Research Center survey, it found that adults under the age of 30 are nearly as likely to believe information on social media as they are from national news outlets. Overall, only 7% of adults have a great deal of trust in the media, according to the Gallup poll conducted last year. So this is on their website. Media literacy can help change that, advocates believe, by teaching students how to recognize reliable news sources. It says, and I'm quoting the Los Angeles County Office of Education, quote, The increase in Holocaust denial, climate change denial, conspiracy theories, getting a foothold, and now AI, all this shows how important media literacy is for democracy right now. It says the 2016 election was a real eye-opener for everyone on the potential harms and dangers of fake news. What you need to do is read between the lines. The 2016 election, you mean the Trump election, was a real eye-opener for anyone on the potential harms and dangers of fake news. 
Now, again, fake news according to who? Fake news according to who? What constitutes real news and what constitutes fake news? This is such an interesting thing to me. So media, media literacy skills are required in California schools. So what does the Bible have to say about all of this? I mean, as far as not real news and fake news, and I'm going to use the term the good news, the good news of the gospel. <clears throat> what the Bible encourages is what's called discernment, the ability to determine right from wrong, good from evil. So it begs a question about how can I increase my spiritual discernment? Now, again, does spiritual discernment have something to do with just regular discernment? Well, discernment has been defined as the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure, it's an act of perceiving something, a power to see what isn't evident to the average mind. Now, according to that definition, it stresses accuracy as the ability to see the truth. So discernment has something to do with cutting between something. The very etymological origin of the, of the word seems to imply as you're looking to the left or the right, to darkness or light, how do you cut through and then draw a decision or a conclusion about right and wrong and truth and error? So when it comes to material discernment, ideological discernment, spiritual discernment, it's the ability to tell the difference I'm going to use the term not just between truth and error, but what Spurgeon famously said, it's not just the difference between right and wrong. It's understanding the difference between right and almost right. I think in order to determine the difference between right and wrong is foundational to having what the Bible calls wisdom. But being able to tell the difference between what's right and almost right, now that's discernment. So arguments and debates surround spiritual truth because it's obscure. Jesus, speaking to the disciples about the Pharisees, the religious leaders said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Speaking of the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of, of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God.
You know what the law in California reminds me of? It reminds me of a blind person who has now, according to the law, is required to have a blindfold walking into a dark room looking for a black cat. (laughs) Making it so difficult. So God must shed light on the human mind in order for us to understand truth. Remember, they're living in a world where there probably is no such thing as truth. They're living in a world where revelation cannot be a source of information. They're living in a world where Jesus couldn't possibly be the Lord, especially the Lord of light. You know, it's actually not possible to attain wisdom apart from God. And he gives discernment. But what's interesting is he also takes it away. This is Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. The number is 303-873-1935. If you'd like to join me on the program. And, of course, producer Jim standing by the phone. Again, if you'd like to talk, ask me a question on Tough Question Tuesday, 303-873-1935. I was talking a little bit about discernment, which has been defined as the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. And some have defined spiritual discernment as a a sort of God-given awareness of evil or good or spiritual presence. In other words, where they talk about what's called the discernment of spirits. Um, Some have suggested this uh, idea of the ability to tell whether or not a demon is in the room. Well, while I think that there is a legitimate gift of discernment of spirits, and it, it is not, I think, Biblically impossible that people have this ability to discern evil spirits. That's not the biblical meaning of discernment. Spiritual discernment ultimately has to do with wisdom and the ability to distinguish between truth and error. And so to me, in order to exercise discernment or to cultivate discernment or to grow discernment in your life, that discernment is like a muscle and that it can be cultivated. Or to use a different metaphor, imagine some people have really good vision and and imagine some people don't have good vision. And so you need glasses to enhance your vision or you need hearing aids to enhance your hearing. So is there something wrong with enhancing your vision or your hearing? Not not if you need help. And I'm 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 going to suggest to you that some people suffer from what I call discernment deficit disorder. 
So wisdom is personified in Proverbs chapter one, and it describes and it's described as someone that we can get to know in Proverbs one twenty through through thirty three. In other words, that that <laughs> wisdom is, if you think about it in terms of the personification of wisdom, it's someone you can get to know. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ is wisdom from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So wisdom, spiritual discernment, is something that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So the world's way of getting wisdom is different from God's way. So back to the definition of discernment, the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure, an act of perceiving something, a power to see what is not evident to the average mind. So that definition stresses the accuracy of the ability to see the truth. To see the truth. How do you get past the smoke and the mirrors and the darkness? How do you get past people who are literally working to deceive you or to mislead you. And so we're back to what the Bible says. Jesus is wisdom from God. So therefore, wisdom or spiritual discernment is something that comes from knowing Jesus. And the world's way of getting wisdom is different from God's way. The learned of the world gain knowledge and then apply reason to knowledge to solve problems. Now, there are people listening right now and say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with gaining knowledge and applying reason to knowledge in order to solve problems? They do that to construct buildings, to create philosophies. But God doesn't make the knowledge of himself available by those means. God makes knowledge of himself available through revelation. And by revelation, I mean by what he has said about himself through Jesus Christ, the Lord, and through the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, says that the wisdom of the wise is frustrated by God, who delivers wisdom to the foolish and to the weak by way of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That way no human being can boast in his presence, verse 29. So we learn to be spiritually discerning by knowing him. Well, is it wrong to possess data, knowledge, or have an education? The answer is no. There's there's not a problem with that. It's not wrong to use reason. It's not wrong to use reason and logic to solve problems. 
but spiritual discernment cannot be cultivated that way. It has to be given by revelation of Jesus Christ to the believer and then developed by way of training in righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. So there's an exercise in order to increase discernment. And then Paul also offers prayer in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, it shows how spiritual discernment is cultivated, stretched, developed. The writer speaks to those who have become dull of hearing, meaning that they've fallen out of practice discerning spiritually. The writer of Hebrews tells them that everyone who lives on milk rather than solid food desired by the mature is unskilled in the word of righteousness. However, the mature Christian has been trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The keys, according to that passage, are being skilled in the word of God by which we define righteousness and constant practice through which we gain experience. So how do you increase spiritual discernment? You recognize that God's the only one who can increase wisdom. You can pray for it. And then knowing the wisdom to distinguish good from evil comes by training and practice. That's why I keep encouraging you. Go to the Bible. Learn what it says. Meditate on what it says. And then ask yourself this question. Am I willing to do what it says? Train on what's real in order to determine what's false. Hey, thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. I'll be back. 